Well, welcome to Sunday School. Uh, we're going to pick up in the uh, book of Colossians as we've been moving through that, uh, going through and taking a look at uh, these principles that the Lord has uh, set out for us as believers that we should have in our life. Again, these principles uh, very clearly are uh, giving us direction and instruction about um, kind of, if you will, what our heart attitude should be, what our uh, actions should be, what our words should be. Um, basically, every guidance uh, in every area of every part of our life. Um, and I, it's one thing that uh, I think a lot of people uh, generally sometimes don't understand. Um, and I'm, that, that statement is very vague, if you will. Because some people have a common understanding, some people have a more true understanding of the phrase that says that scripture is our authority in every area of our life. Um, people will generally say, yes, I believe the Bible. People that are saved, born again, children of God will say, yes, we believe the Bible. Yes, we we, you know, I try to follow it and so on and so forth. But then there are individuals that will truly take that and use it the way that God intended it to be. And that's what God wants us to do. And this is, again, why Paul is writing these things, so that these believers would have that foundational understanding. Now, again, you got to remember, at this point in time, the book of Colossians was being written and had, or if you will, was penned and then sent to Colossae, but they didn't have hardly any other scriptures other than some things from the Old Testament with which they could base what God's will was for them. And here we are several thousand years later with the complete word of God in our laps. I mean, we've got it on our phones. We've got it on our tablets. We've got it everywhere in the world. And people still do not truly understand how important these things are in our life. And if we take a look at verse uh, um, uh, where we left off in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we begin to see that concept of what God is getting at for us. That those things that are his words should be something that is continually with us. It should be that habitation as we were talking about. Uh, when we begin to understand this, this, uh, uh, this allowance, again, that let part as we talked about, the idea and the concept is, is that there will be some wisdom. In the morning service, we're going to talk a little bit more about wisdom. But again, that's what the word of God brings forth. It brings wisdom. Uh, when a person is not wise, that is a person that has no understanding or little understanding of the word of God. And there is a critical need for scripture in our life. And what we find here is we find it is necessary for our interactions one with another. Not just, you know, in our personal life, but again, for our interactions with other believers. You take a look at that verse and he says, let the word of Christ in verse 16 of Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So here's what we have. We have the word of God that is given to us. It is going to produce a specific kind of fruit. It is going to produce a fruit that is pleasant, that is good, that is something that, that, that should should be, if you will, consumed. The world has their wisdom. We talked a little bit about this in over the book of James when we were studying it on Wednesday night. The world has their form of wisdom. And what is it? It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. We understand that concept. And what does that produce? That produces a certain kind of fruit. Typically, death. Typically, destruction, harm, war. As we find over there in the book of James, as we move from chapter 3 over to chapter 4. But what we find here is we find that this fruit that is being yielded by allowing God's word to have that effect on us, by allowing it to richly dwell with wisdom, then we wind up seeing something that is going to naturally come out. The more word of God that you put in you, the more word of God is going to come out. It is just a standard of practice. What you put in is what you get out. Uh, there has been a management term that has been around for a very long time. And even uh, it spills over to some of the IT stuff. It's garbage in, garbage out. You get a garbage, pro, you know, uh, if you will, uh, material that you're trying to produce a product for, and you produce that. What happens? You are sending garbage out. You 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 get cheap materials to construct whatever product it is. You send that product out into the marketplace, and you start getting bad reviews because it's it's garbage. It's a, it's not worth anything. It breaks. I mean, I, 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 how many remember back in the day when the, the world was taken by storm by that new car company called Yugo? Yeah. <laughs> remember the Yugos? I remember the ads. And I was like, wow, you know, that thing looks like, you know, it's going to fold like a tin can. And it did. The thing was, I mean, the thing was a piece of junk. It was not even worth the money to buy it. I mean, you could probably give away Yugos at this point. I don't know if anybody would actually want to go buy one. What is it, like a Yugo Classic? Can you imagine the, the Yugo swap meets? You just pull up a car and just start parting it out because it's junk. It's It's just, it was garbage. Why? Because it was inferior quality. It was inferior manufacturing. It was inferior to everything that was being produced out there at the time. And, and, and you had a product that once you got in the car and once you had anything happen to it, whether it was mechanical or whether it was a small accident, the car was totaled and it wasn't worth repairing. It was just discarded and thrown away. So when we take a look at our lives, what we wind up putting in there, what we allow to dwell with us, is going to produce a result. Example, you let bitterness and unforgiveness dwell in your heart, guess what's going to come out of you? 
bitterness and unforgiveness. You're going to have a hard time with people. You know what you're going to do? You're going to actually, if you will, uh, throttle the grace that comes out of you. You're going to, you're going to reduce the mercy that's there. There's going to be problems in your life. You're going to struggle. That's what's going to happen. Because again, there is a concept that if we are unforgiving in our life, there is, if you will, a conflict between us and God. He is forgiving. He is also forgiving. Why, why in the world would we want anything else other than just forgiveness and mercy to come out of our, our hearts? Because that's what happens when we come to God. Remember the parable that Jesus was talking about, the wicked servant? The wicked servant that uh, um, uh, there was an individual that owed the master uh, money and and all of these things, and, uh, um, you know, this was, uh, was forgiven him and so on and so forth. But then he turns around, and as he'd been forgiven so much, he turns around to somebody else that had far less owed to the wicked servant and he grabs him by the throat and threatens him and actually has him thrown in prison and then the master finds out about it and says that's wrong and the scary thing is is in that parable and understanding where the parable is found over there in the book of matthew i totally understand this but, you know, from a doctrinal perspective, but I will tell you this, if somebody that has been forgiven so much turns around and does something that is an unforgiving nature, guess what's going to happen? As that, as that uh, wicked servant found out, he was turned over to the tormentors. The tormentors. And I will tell you this, there are a significant amount of tormentors in the world today. And that is exactly what happens with people that are unforgiving. You know what I see? They're in torment. And they're tormenting themselves, if you will, because of the, that fact. But that's what happens when the wrong product gets put in and another product comes out. So here we are dwelling with the word of God and having that in us. This comes out and he says, teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing. This is something that, that, again, should be a natural process. As that's in us, that's what comes out of us. The more word of God, the more teaching, the more admonishing that we do. This is where we begin to understand that every Christian is called to teach. Well, I'm not qualified to teach. Well, nobody said you had to stand up in front of a crowd and teach. Nobody said you had to know how to do a PowerPoint presentation and go through an entire, you know, uh, uh, program or entire series or lesson plan, uh, um, uh, on, on a subject. But what you should do is you should be able to teach other people. As we grow in Christ, we are to mature. When we mature, we teach. Why? Because we have knowledge that we are supposed to give to other people. There are younger Christians. There are younger Christians among us. There are younger Christians outside of these uh, these walls. There are young Christians that you might have contact with. 
You might find somebody that just trusted Christ as their Savior not too long ago, and then all of a sudden you start having a conversation with them and you start talking about something that uh, from the Word of God, and they're like, I've never read that before because I'm just starting to read my Bible. And you give them an encouragement. Maybe you admonish them to do something that is right, to correct something in their life. Maybe they're a young Christian, <coughs> pardon me, a young Christian that hasn't fully realized that transformative power of the word of God in their life. They haven't fully realized Romans 12 yet, where there's a change in the thought processes, because it is a step-by-step thing. Again, we need to understand that, you know, when we trust Christ as our Savior, it is not the magic Jesus pill that automatically transforms us into whatever God wants us to be. It is a process. Sometimes it's a slow process. Sometimes it's faster. Don't judge or compare, I should say, uh, your process to somebody else's process. And don't compare other people's process to somebody else's process. Why? Because we're all unique and we're all different and it takes different things to get us to do certain things. Some people may not get conviction of something till much later because the Lord one needs to work on something else in their life before he gets to that part. It's a step-by-step thing. And But you know what he does? God uses us to do that. Well, of course, we want to think that there's there, there's better teachers, there's there's better tools out there. But no, he chooses you and me to do that. Because he wants you to understand that teaching another person is something that will bring you an immense amount of joy in your life. When I see Christians realizing things from the word of God and beginning to grow, I'm sorry, that just brings a lot of joy to me. That brings us so much joy when I see them making the right decisions, making the right choices. Because trust me, and I'm sure you all would agree and say amen, we see a lot of people making a lot of wrong decisions around us. So here we are looking at this saying, this is what naturally comes out. It's a teaching and admonishing one another. It's a teaching and admonishing of one another. And we need to understand that one another part. While it is one another talking about, if you will, uh, uh, congregations and the entire body of Christ, It is one another as it is an individual thing. We should have our in our life, because the word of God is dwelling in us richly in all wisdom, it comes out, it teaches one other person. One other person. Not a whole mass of people. You know, isn't it interesting as you watch what happens over there at the beginning part of the young church? Over in the book of Acts, you find there's Pentecost, and there is a whole slew of people coming to Christ, right? 
there's a major change that goes on. You see that happen and occur. Then what happens? That large thousands begins to dwindle down. Smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the point of where you begin to see one by one individuals receiving Christ and one by one people growing, making decisions. Because that is where, if you will, the real work is. The real work is done individually. And I understand the purpose of the church. I understand why we come together. I understand all of those things. But when it comes to what the real work of Jesus Christ is, it is individual in nature. If we don't understand that it is individual in nature, meaning that we all individually have a responsibility to each other individual in this congregation as well as the other members of the body of Christ outside of this congregation, then, then, then we're going to have a hard time in our Christian life pleasing the Lord and doing what he commands us if we just don't understand that concept. It's a shame if we cannot truly know each other in a congregation like this to come together, to be able to pray together, to be able to worship together, to respond to each other's needs, to, 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 to do those things. We should all be able to teach each other. That's the concept. And he uses a very interesting way of going about teaching. He uses a very interesting way of going about teaching here, where he says teaching and admonishing one another. And now here's where I struggle. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I struggle with that. You know, there's, there's verses that people struggle with in scripture. I struggle with that one because I'm, I, I understand the fact I, I, I can't sing. I mean, it, it's not, it's just not pleasant. Maybe if I took voice lessons, maybe if I understood music and things like that, maybe if I knew what all those little dots and lines meant on the page, maybe I'd grab some, you know, grasp some concepts. I have a hard time with it, you know, about the only thing that I remember from all my music teaching was every good boy deserves fudge. And I'm like, where's my fudge? That's all I want. <laughs> What's that? Right. Exactly. I, in my own head, I have a good voice. <clears throat> let's just, let's just put it that way. In my head, I have a good voice. But, but, but here we are understanding something about this song. And I will tell you, when you start studying songs in scripture, you will see something amazing. Did you ever notice Moses' song after they came over the Red Sea? You ever read that? You ever read the, the, the songs that they sung when great victories were won by the hand of God? I mean, and again, these, these, you know, these people, that wasn't their job to be songwriters, okay? 
This was something that naturally came out because of the Spirit of God moving in them to write those songs, if you will, in a heartbeat to sing unto God. It wasn't just something that, you know, they sat down and they're like, okay, well, what's this line going to say? What's this line going to say? What, what, okay, what? No, no, this was something that just naturally came out because the Spirit of God was moving in them to do that. Turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 40, and take a look at this here. Psalm chapter 40. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 40, and I'll give you an example of this. Psalm chapter 40 in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he climbed unto me and heard my cry. Again, that is an amazing thing for us to understand, that God would hear us. But again, there sometimes needs to be some patience. There needs to be some patience. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he climbed unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Man, we're talking about salvation there. We're talking about something amazing in our life. Being set on the rock of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than that. That's something to sing about. What's the natural result that happens in verse 3? And he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Did you notice something about that verse? That song wasn't a song that was heard, it was seen. It was seen. Before you trusted Christ as your Savior, you had a different song. You had a different song. And and and, and not to, again, make light of it in any way, shape, or form, but more than likely, it was probably highway to hell. Because that's exactly where we were headed. Now there are people out there that sing that as their song and because they think there's nothing wrong with it because that's where, quote unquote, they want to go to hang out and party with their friends. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. And we were just talking about tormentors. We're just, I mean, again, you know, the description of hell that Jesus Christ gives and things that we see in other areas of scripture, it makes it very clear that it is not, <coughs> excuse me, it is not a place that we would or should ever want to go. You know, I, I, I don't like being burned. As a matter of fact, you know, in situations, they, they, they've recent, you know, not recently, but within, you know, last century or so, uh, began to ban the use of fire weapons in combat. Now, again, I understand, you know, you're banning things in combat and, you know, anything goes in combat, blah, 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 blah. But they're trying to have, you know, a more humane way of fighting wars. I'm like, oh, good grief. <laughs> 
it, it's death and destruction. I'm sorry. It's just that's what happens. And, and, and scripture talks about it. But, but, but they, they, they banned what were known as flamethrowers saying they were horrible weapons. Why? Because a lot of combat soldiers, that's not the way they want to go. They don't want to die that way. Because it's extremely painful. It takes a long time. It's not pleasant. We understand that concept. So even the world knows they don't want to die by flame. Why would you want to spend all eternity in a flame? Isn't it it interesting how God writes that on their heart? But those are the songs that people sing beforehand. Now this new song comes in when we have the rock of Jesus Christ on which we are uh, planted firmly, our foundation, a new song that is being sung, but look at the end result of what this song does. This song, as it says here, many shall see it, meaning that they see a change in our life. There's a change in the manner in which we behave. There's a change in the manner of our speech. And if you will, that life, if you, if you want to put it that way, becomes a song that we say. And here he says, there's a result of that. And what is it? Many shall see it and fear. Well, who are they fearing? God. They're fearing the Lord. Again, the fearing, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Another connection with the word of God. And here he says, what will happen? He says it very clearly and shall trust in the Lord. We bring others along. It has an effect on other people. Take a look at Psalm chapter 96. Turn to Psalm 96. Again, I I, want to point this out. We just saw over there in Psalm 40 verse 3, there's a new song that he puts in our mouth. Here again is a call again for another new song. In verse 1, O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Again, another song that is actually showing something. Demonstration. So when we go back over there and we begin to understand that concept about the teaching and the admonishing, a lot of that has to do with the way that we behave with other people. The way that we show Christ in us. The responses that we have. That teaches people. Remember back over there when Elihu began to kind of reprove Job a little bit and said, uh, everybody's watching you, Job, to see how you're going to respond to all this tribulation. Everybody's watching you. What is this man of God going to do? 
Bible says that we have trials and tribulations because sometimes God's trying to prove us. God wants to see what fruit is coming out. He wants to see what product is going to come out. Because that's, again, going to test what you put in it. And if you will, it's kind of a quality control. You're in a manufacturing process or you're in any type of process. You pull one or two items out or uh, uh, products and, and you, you review the product. Is it being produced correctly? Is there something we need to change? Is, is, is something wrong with, with how it is being developed. And I tell you, that's what the Word of God does. That's what the Lord does with His Holy Spirit. When we go through some trials and tribulation, it's like, okay, let's see what's gonna happen now. Let's put the product truly to the test. And when we go through things in our life, and we sing a song that is a new song from the Lord, it is going to produce a certain kind of result. It is going to produce a certain kind of fruit. It's going to teach other people. And other people are going to be sitting there watching and say, how is that person going to respond to that trial and trouble in their life? Now, we all understand uh, in here, because we're adults, we get the concept of kids watch how we respond, and they will mirror our responses. They will mirror our responses. You ever look at one of your children or look at somebody else's child and, and go, they are the exact, you know, they're the epitome of their mother or their father. You're like, it's a, it's a, it's a mini me. It's, 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 there you go. It's exactly another person, just carbon copy, smaller and younger. And sometimes it's much too, you know, we just go, oh, no. <laughs> but it's absolutely fantastic when you watch them make the right decisions. Where did they learn to make those right decisions? Well, hopefully they're getting taught that at home. Public school system isn't going to teach them to make the right decision. You think the world's going to teach them to make the right decision? You think the internet's going to teach him to make the right decision? You think anything about this world and society is going to teach him to make the right decision? You know what they're all going to teach you? Or teach the children? You are the most important person in the world. You are so special. I'll tell you this. Every single last person on the face of the earth is special because Jesus Christ died for us. So let's just set the specialness aside. And let's begin to realize that we're all, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all need to come to repentance. God uses different people for different things and so on and so forth. And I get that and I understand that. But but let's just understand the concept of where we're starting from. Where it begins. But here we are looking at that and we see these individuals, these children, other people, how they respond. You take a manager 
and you put a manager in a position over other people, and people will watch that manager to see how that manager deals with individuals and conflicts, and that's how the people will respond in their work ethic and will respond in their product that they produce. You've got an individual that is a jerk of a boss. It becomes very difficult to produce a good quality product. Why? Because what happens is it begins to build apathy and an uncaring attitude about the end product. Why? Because people don't want to be treated that way. And I say all that to get to this because we're going to start moving into relationships here in just a few minutes. A few minutes. These relationships are all predicated upon these previous principles that we're seeing. Here we are in this ninth one, uh, looking at this and, and what happens. We see here psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what one of the greatest books of the Bible is if you really truly want to know and be taught about who God is and who man is and what God has done for mankind? The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible, is, if you will, one of the core fundamental books that guides the rest of the book, of the Bible itself. You will find that you, as you study scripture, when you study a subject matter, you typically will go back to Psalms to help define words. You go to the book of Proverbs to help define certain things. But I say this with Psalms because every single last Psalm was meant to be sung, demonstrated. And you know what we see today? We, we, we see all of these things of the world being sung by Christians that are inappropriate. You know, I, I, I saw something the other day and, and, uh, I don't recommend going and, and looking at this stuff because it just got to a point of where it was ridiculous and just downright blasphemous. Uh, I was showing it to my wife. Uh, last week there was a, a big event that took place, you know, in, in sports. Um, again, there was no cars involved and no racing, so I didn't care. So, um, but you know, the people, to some people, it, they made a big deal out of it and they started to show some church services that made a big deal about it. All the worship team were wearing sports jerseys. Some of them had, you know, referee outfits on things like that, all sorts of things. This, and these were the church services and they were trying to demonstrate some things demonstrate, you know, how, how to, uh, you know, try to take football analogies and make that fit into the word of God. And some of them turned out horrible. Some of them, many of them uh, that were shown in there uh, were, were actually taking a Bible and using it as a football and they punted it. They kicked a Bible across a stage. Now, if they're saved, born again, children of God, when I get to heaven, I don't even want to be standing anywhere near them at all. 
But some of them, in the middle of all of what they were doing, decided to have a concert. One of them began to sing a Garth Brooks song. And a very inappropriate one of that. And it showed the crowd and all the crowds out there with their little, you know, light up whatever glow sticks, waving it back and forth like it was a concert. That's not the song we sing. You take a look at the hymns that are written. And you find, take as an example, and can it be. The hymn that is written by Charles Wesley, that truly talks about my chains fell off, my heart was free. There's doctrine behind that. There's truth behind it. Those songs teach. Those songs, if you will, admonish. Come thou fount of of every blessing. Tune my heart And this is, again, where, you know, Griffey was getting to the point of, it says right there, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And when we look at that grace that is in, that God has given to us, this is not stuff that is being done, if you will, in a fleshly manner. This is stuff that is being done in a spiritual manner that is affecting our soul, which is where our heart is. We have to understand that, that that's where our heart is. When the Bible is talking about our heart, it is referencing the spiritual portion of us, not our physical heart. Recently, my dad just went to win some uh, uh, heart surgery for a, a valve that was malfunctioning. That was a physical thing. But the true heart of my father, if you will, that is at the core of his soul and who he is, is something different than that physical fleshly heart. So what happens here is that song that is being sung, there's very clearly, it has a component with it that is grace, that is something that we need in our lives and we need to continue to demonstrate in our lives. God has a lot of grace with us. And and I'll tell you this, the best grace that was ever exhibited was on the cross. For by grace are ye saved. That grace of the work of God and what he has done, the grace that he continues to give you as he works in your life with the Holy Spirit and the word of God to mold you and shape you into the Christian he desires you to be with all long-suffering and patience and kindness and gentleness. Aren't you glad that grace has those components? Could you imagine grace without it? That's not grace. That's wrath. And people have a choice. You're either going to receive grace... Or you can choose the wrath of God. And I know there is a big difference between the two. There is a big difference between the two. 
So when we look at this here and we start singing with grace in our hearts, this is, if you will, the main component of why we do what we do with one another. We need to exhibit a lot of grace to people. God has demonstrated so much to us, we need to make sure we're demonstrating it to everyone else, especially the body of Christ. Because as we move down here a little bit further into verse 17, he gets to this matter, if you will, of this 10th principle that we see here, where he says, and whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is how we wind up doing what we do. See, if we truly take a look at why we do things scripturally, comparing what we do to the word of God, there is a main component to our deeds, to, to, to our, what we say, in that they should be, if you will, done in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you start putting that into practice and using that as, if you will, a, a, a guardrail in your life to keep you on that right path, you will see a change. Put it this way. You're forming a sentence in your head, and we've talked about this. Let's not just blurt out whatever's on our heart, because the Bible says that's foolish. So what do we do? We think about what we're going to say. We respond. Here's how we can do this. Here's how we bring our, if you will, our thoughts and our words into captivity. Can I do this in Jesus' name? Now, we know people do things in Jesus' name all the time that are sinful. There's people out there that they they, they think they're doing Jesus' work. You know, there's people out there that, that, that have this, you know, have mental, you know, diminished capacity. And what do they wind up doing? They wind up, you know, saying, well, I'm going to go kill somebody because Jesus told me to go kill somebody. Jesus didn't tell you to go kill anybody. Okay. I understand Romans 13. I understand they carry, you know, they don't carry the sword in vain. That's government, by the way. That's, that, that, that's something that's very specifically for authorities. Not individuals. God didn't show up to somebody and say, hey, I want you to go be a vigilante. I want you to go start killing people. Somebody says something like that. You, you stay away from them. But let's understand this. If I'm going to say something at the end of the sentence, can I say in Jesus' name? If it's filled with cursing, you can't. If it's filled with hatred, you can't. If it's filled with something that is of yourself, you can't. You begin to realize, okay, well, I can't say that in Jesus' name, then maybe you shouldn't say it. Perhaps it would be best left unsaid. Perhaps it should be one of those thoughts that you take and put into captivity and throw it away and be done with it and never let it out ever again. The same with our actions. 
The same with our actions. I don't think anybody can sit down and say, I'm going to consume 15 chickens in the name of Jesus. Ah, that's called gluttony. Somebody's going to sit down and say, well, you know, I, I, I can, I, I, I can do, uh, um, drugs, illicit drugs in, in the name of Jesus. No, you can't. Because those things, you know what they do? They open up a portal to something you don't want to mess with. All those type of drugs, you know what they do? All they do is they open up, a, uh, if you will, they pull back the veil and open up portals to the spirit world that you can't close once they're opened. You talk to some of those people that have seen some things, it terrorizes them. I know a believer right now that he still... He hasn't been able to close those doors. And he frequently has conversations with those things and tells them to leave him alone. This is a believer, and there's no way I'm going to question that guy's salvation because he loves the Lord. Man, he loves Jesus Christ so much. It is, I mean, he just, he gets so excited about it, and and he just, it's a, it's, it's amazing to watch him speak and just get excited about the word of God. But he'll tell you he messed up his life with that stuff. You can't do that in Jesus' name. So what we begin to do is we begin to look at our actions and say, is this truly something that I am doing for him? He says, whatsoever, whatsoever. That includes every single aspect of our life, every single thing that we do. And if you get down into verse 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, what do we wind up seeing? We wind up seeing that it also, that whatsoever, extends into our relationships. It extends into our relationships. And it even connects down there, this verse 17 connects down there with the, the last, if you will, principle, kind of skipping ahead, in which we'll get back to some of these things. Verse 23, it says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. We find both of those together about guiding our actions and our words and whether they are not, they are truly in the will of God. We talk about food a lot. Why? Because food is an important principle. And to be honest with you, God gave us food and we do enjoy food. There's good food. You know, our, we had our 25th anniversary here recently. We went to a nice restaurant and there's some good food. My wife, she ordered a, a pork chop. Man alive, uh, that pork chop, whoo, that was a good pork chop. There was nothing dry about it. It was perfectly, you know, seasoned and seared. I mean, oh, it was good. But let's think about this for a minute. You realize what Jesus Christ said over there in John chapter 4 when he was talking to the disciples after he had talked with the woman at the well? He said that he had meat that they knew not of, and that meat was to do what? The will of the Father. 
You want to grow spiritually, I'll tell you this, you can fill it with the word of God, but there needs to be an action that corresponds with it. There needs to be a corresponding action, and that corresponding action is this. Are you doing the will of the Father with what you say and with what you do? If, if, if you can't say, I can do this in Jesus' name, then it ought not be done. It ought not be done. Why? Because it's not the will of God. And you know what? It's not going to help you grow. It's going to hinder your growth. It's going to hinder your life. And here he makes it very clear that what we do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and we should be able to give thanks for it. First Thessalonians 5 talks about giving thanks, talking about how that's the will of God. And we as believers need to understand this concept. We have to give thanks for what we do. One of the principles I was taught very young, very early in my Christian life was this. Give thanks to God for everything. As a matter of fact, before, you know, when you, when you pray, and I understand there's Nehemiah prayers, there's Peter prayers that sometimes you just got to be straight to the point. Lord, save me. <laughs> you know, things like that. But I'll tell you this, when you get to God, go to God in prayer, you know what? I, it's just something that I do. It's something that was a pattern that was set in me. And again, you may be a little different, but this is the way I see things in scripture. Uh, the way that, uh, things happen and occur is give God thanks for what you have first. Start off by giving thanks for God, to God for who you are, or, or excuse me, for who he is, for what he's given to you, for the salvation that you have. And again, that should be constantly at the mouth all the time coming out of us. Because if we are doing things that we can give God thanks for, and we are saying things that we can give God thanks for, we are beginning to change the process of how we view and how we think about things in our Christian life, our principles. Next week, we'll pick up with these relationships, and I just wanted to kind of broach that subject. But here we're talking about wives, we're talking about husbands, we're talking about children, we're talking about fathers, we're talking about servants. All of these things that we wind up seeing are relational in this world. And when we have these first principles established, what it does is it affects our relationships that God has brought into our life. Again, it goes back to that teaching and admonishing one another. And Lord willing, we'll pick that up next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. And we'll have a short break and then come back for our 11 o'clock service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again so much that we do have this book that you've given to us that teaches us, guides us, and directs us. Lord, I pray that we would just have a willingness of in our in our heart, Lord, that we would allow your spirit to work in us that we would be able to teach and admonish lord with that grace that you have so freely given to us to one another to edify to encourage to correct when necessary lord 
Thank you again for all that you've done for us this day so far. Pray, Lord, you continue to commune with us during this 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.